Well, howdy, folks. It's the Candela Fellas here. <laughs> Today, we are talking about lens choices. And is there a good or a, or a bad lens choice? We're, we're going to find out. <laughs> well, yeah, what's your, what's your personal journey been with uh, lenses? What My did you, personal journey. What did, you, what did you start out with and uh, where have you ended up? Well, I'd like to point out that the journey's never finished. No. I feel like the further I go into my journey, the more I realize that my journey's never ending. Yes. Yeah? You, do you feel me? <laughs> I feel you on that, yeah. Yeah. I, I might have that made into a motivational poster <laughs> for offices. Um, I think that, unfortunately, there is not one perfect lens for every situation, and it would be nice if there was. I, I use a multi of lenses i start widest being 16 mil and going up the furthest to about 90 and sometimes i have this howitzer that's like 180 mil that i bring out but i don't use it very often and um they split into four lenses so i'm not a fan of uh of zoom lenses because i think they're just too big and heavy and they're slow their maximum aperture is 2.8 so they don't, they're not as good for night shooting as primes, where you can go down sometimes to like 1.4, which I find really useful. Uh, but it's mainly that bulk. And obviously the, 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 the downside of having prime lenses is, say you've got your 50 on and then you wanna, you've got a wide angle scene that requires a 24, you have to actually take it off and go in your bag and mess around and put the new one on. And I've lost quite a few shots that way. So sometimes I wish I had a zoom on, sometimes I... I, I really don't, but it's it's quite it's quite frustrating knowing what you know trying trying to figure out your what what's right for you and what isn't. And I think a lot of people start off by um, buying lots of different lenses and carrying them all around, or feeling guilty when they don't have them all uh, with them on the shelf. But I, I think it, well, I guess there's a practical consideration, right? Where you're a lot of imagine what you do you can't get in there like you're if you're if you're on a, a 90 or 180 it's just going to cause you problems and then um, so there must be like a practical kind of reasoning in some senses for having something a bit wider um like well, if you like if you yeah. walk backwards anymore you're going to end up on a train track kind of thing well funnily enough um the shot that i've I, I did this shot on the london underground the one with that um the curve in the lights i'll quickly get it up on here so chris knows which one i'm talking about because that doesn't really narrow it down the one on the the underground with the lights is it the guy on the tube platform yeah 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 so that one which is probably my most um kind of popular shot online for some reason i i spent most of my time shooting on the underground with wide angle lenses and that shot looks like it's a wide angle lens but it's not it's a 90 Mm. that i used to shoot that and I've, I don't think I've ever shot a 90 on the underground apart from that shot. And it was just necessary in order to... Uh, I saw the, the, the pattern in the, in the lights and I knew that if I used my 24 that it would just elongate the first couple of lights. Yeah. Right, and then, and then they just like stretch out into... It would just do that kind of warped tunnel look, which wouldn't have been useful because I wanted the subject and the lights to be together. So that whole compression thing which if people don't know what compression is, it's it's about kind of all the elements in the frame looking almost more like the, the, like there's less distance between them than there is actually in, in reality when you look at it. It's like the lens creating an effect. And so it kind of squashed this scene into, into the scene I wanted. And it just meant that I had to be at the other side of the platform. 
in order to shoot it. So it was, it was I was far away from the subject. Uh, but I mean, the point being that just because I've never shot a, a 90 mil on a train platform before doesn't mean that I shouldn't. I, I, I always keep them on me so that uh, if the opportunity arises, I'm ready for it. And it's annoying because it just means you have to carry loads of lenses around. And, th- and there is something that's really refreshing about just walking around with one lens. Uh, yeah. if, if you have the discipline to to just not worry about, you know, not not just kind of absorb yourself in the, the focal length that you're using and trying to adjust your eyesight to that. And, th- and, and there is a, a huge merit in doing that. Um, you start concentrating more on the shots that you can get, not on the ones that you hypothetically could get and may not have time to change your lens or do that kind of thing. So it's a it's a useful thing to, to go around with one lens sometimes as well. I suppose you'd also um, sort of, you'd feel more confident in the sense that like, you wouldn't be like, oh, you know, what if that, that moment that is now dis- dissolved into, into time, into history, what if I'd got that on this lens, it might have looked so much better. Whereas if you just, you're on the one, then that's what you got to work with. And yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing for that. Yeah, and and it's it's always best, I think, to capture something rather than you know, if there's something there, you just got to try and grab it. Unless, of course, you're you know shooting across some water and you're on a twenty-four, and you're never going to be able to. Of course, like there have been shots where I've just let them go. Um, I mean, I, I'd like to say that in all this, I, I I choose to walk around with a bunch of different lenses because I have a certain wave certain different ways of shooting and I like using lens distortions and characteristics as part of my work so you know getting stuff warped in the edges sometimes that can look really good and you can exaggerate certain parts of a building or architecture using that or um, like I was talking about about compression but there, there are some shooters like and he's going to get his hundredth mention surely like not Ricardo Bresson <laughs> he always shot on a 50 and that was it apparently and he did that for years and years and years and years and his work looks really varied and it it goes to show that you don't need to have a whole bag of flashy lenses but if he wanted to try as i mean i don't think 16 millimeter lenses even existed back then uh but shots that require super wides he wouldn't have been able to do on a 50 so mm-hmm. I, I for for me it's um it's a nice mixture of you know, spending most of my time on my favorite lens, which is a 24 mil, but then having access to all the others and knowing that they're there, even if I use them once a month. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about that scene that, you know, you, you might intuitively think, oh, this, this, you know, the, with the curvature of the platform and the amount of different elements in it, it makes sense to be wide, but actually it wasn't. And that whole thing of the thing in the fog, in the super foreground, like getting stretched out is odd, isn't it? And obviously sometimes you can use it to your advantage, but especially if there's a limb or something, it look, it can just look absolutely disgusting. Well, yeah. Well, it's like that one I did of you, the, uh, yeah. the, um, the hand in the mist. Mm. Um, that was used. That's using. That was with a, a super wide lens as well, and it's. Uh, we'll have to like somehow get these visible to <laughs> for people. Yeah, uh, but that whole shot is based on on lens distortion, mate, and perspective. That's it. You know, no offense to Chris. Chris is you know always a wonderful subject, but uh, he 
you know, it was literally just a man standing. If I'd shot it on a 50 from a few steps back, it would have just been a man standing there with his hand. At, like, it, would, it would have just been a pretty average picture. Whereas you wanted we, to we, pull out my big, gorgeous forearms. I know. I yes. Know. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think with playing around with like lenses that distort stuff? Part, partly in this era we're in, which is obviously something we've spoken about a lot. Do you think the the fact that like iPhones, I, I don't know what what an iPhone lens technically is, but because well, it has I that. Do. Go on, what is it? Because I'm a huge mega geek. It's a 28.2 lens. There you go. So, and, because, it, so uh, because it has that kind of like neutral, similar to your eye, deep focus look, I guess that it probably ah, well, forces that's people to, that. to play around a little bit more, doesn't it? Well, that's the thing. Everyone says that 50 mil is the most close focal length to what we see. Um, and what they're talking about is like the the area that is not our peripheral vision, the bit that's sharp for our eyes, is meant to be the equivalent of 50 mil on full frame, which I, I, I don't really I don't really think that that is... Uh, I've never really agreed to that. I, I've, I always feel that our peripheral vision is definitely a massive part of it. And so yeah. it's, it's technically like this kind of, like, not quite 180, but you're almost at like, you know, 130 degrees, I think. But, but yeah. that we can see. So for me, that's like almost bang on to something like a twenty-one. So I, I I've always felt I felt like when I got a wide angle for the first time, like proper wide angle. I don't like people speaking about thirty-five mils as wide angles because they're not uh, proper wide angle. <laughs> for me, it's like a twenty-four or, or I guess twenty-eight-ish. But twenty-eight doesn't really feel that wide to me. Um, twenty-four is the beginning. And it's, yeah, it's, it's, it felt a lot more natural to me than, than shooting on a 50. Like 50s feel really zoomed in to me. And that's not how I see the world at least. Well, yeah, that, I guess that's what it comes down to, isn't it? it obviously, is, there's some sort of like anatomical, optical kind of arguments for what it, what it is we see. In, yeah. but in terms of your like subjective experience of the world, like if you're someone who is, I don't know. I, I often feel in social situations sometimes I'll I'll dissociate a little bit and be feel a bit outside of the pocket. And uh, my experience is sometimes I feel like I'm viewing the world in about three millimeters, and I can really see. <laughs> I'm I'm, th I'm thinking about what's in my peripheral vision, and I'm aware of other stuff going on, and I'm, I'm watching people. Whereas some people who are maybe often tend to be a little bit more in the moment, yeah. probably experience the world <laughs> similar to a longer lens. They're, yeah, they're two hundred mil up in there. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that Apple, you know, the, the, the iPhone is, or, or smartphones, let's say, between Huawei, Samsung, and Apple, they, they, they've got the most, more people are taking photos on those devices than anything else in the world. That's just a fact. And they've all, got, they've all gone for 28 mil as their, uh, as their like, main focal, uh, focal length on, on, on the lenses. And now the new iPhones have got... Uh, Three lenses. Wide angle, so, yeah. so you've got a super wide, you've got a wide, they call the regular one just a wide, and then they've got telephoto. I don't think it's a tele, I think it's more like a 50. I might be wrong on that one, but I know for a fact, I, I know that it's a 12 megapixel, 28 mil. And it's, it's interesting because they, they've obviously made that decision based on, you know, like if you, when, when, when you look down at a table, and I mean, I mean, most people take photos of their food with their phones <laughs> these days, to be honest. It's such a weird, mm. I find it so weird that people sit there and photograph their food before they I eat it. I mean, I, I, I get it if you're a chef or something and, you, and it's for your, your, your portfolio, but 
I want. It's just so interesting seeing people like like everyone around the table like, oh, that's my food. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna photograph this. Yeah, thing and, is, like, I, I'm I'm not the greatest chef ever, and I'm continually amazed by food. When someone puts a plate of amazing food in front of me, I'm like, this is incredible. But then I whip out my phone and I'm like, why the f- why am I doing this? I'm not gonna look back at this. I'm not gonna go through my camera roll and be like, ah, oh, what a great dish. Mmm, <laughs> yeah. that ham hock. Ooh. <laughs> It's like I'm there at the table again. It, yeah. it, it's um, yeah, it's an but, odd phenomenon, but 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 the fact remains that people do that all the time. So you need a lens that that like if you if if you had a fifty on from the distance of what forty centimeters to a table. Yeah, I'm just I'm amazed that like, you know, now now we're getting these advances on phones, but I'm surprised that they're even like part of the mainstream advertising because it's pretty esoteric, isn't it? Like I can't imagine the vast majority of users were like oh god i wish i had a wider lens on my iphone you know for your regular i mean, I mean their, their whole marketing has been just camera 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 uh at least visually it's always got that shot of the three camera pods and yeah it's it's uh it is interesting but i think it's the bit that speaks to you know especially this year during lockdown People have been using FaceTime and, you know, Skype and Zoom and all these things in order to communicate. So, you know, camera quality has probably become more important for some people than it would have been a year ago, maybe. Yeah, true. In that sense. And and um, and also everyone's just become so self-obsessed that uh, <laughs> taking pictures of yourself and of your food uh, in better quality or with more options has is is what people want these days mm. you, I, I, i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that you're right there the, the average user is not going to be like wow you know they've they've squeezed out an extra uh stop out of the lens <laughs> so so now i can you know it's going to have slightly better blur up close yeah. or um but th- th- there's that new thing they've they've done uh with, with that like like nighttime sensor thing. But again, they've done it so that you can use portrait mode at night. That's how they're selling it. So it's just more selfieisms. Well, that is the big thing, isn't it? Because everyone just wants to everyone wants to look sexy now. So that's the portrait mode is the big selling point, I guess. Which oh, which, which brings us on to like um how do you in your when you're going around the streets, how do you think about <laughs> when you're doing your selfies, Alan? Yeah. How <laughs> <laughs> have you managed to uh, you know shield genitalia from the light so it still passes instagram's nudity rules no um how do you think about like depth of focus and when you're gonna i mean this ties into film quite neatly but like when you're gonna use deep focus and when you're gonna go as i know you do some stuff that's like super super shallow where you know the depth of an eyeball will be the yeah 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 (laughs) your plane of focus well your depth of field is is pretty much one one of the biggest things that you can control because uh, it actually changes how the picture looks. So, and I mean control in a in a kind of artistic sense or whatever. You know, it, it's 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 a choice that you make that will define how something looks. And I, I get asked all the time, you know, like, do you shoot at one point four or do you shoot at f eight? And it's it's such a to me like no offense to but it's just such a, a silly silly question. Uh, I guess it's like saying to a chef, you know, on your hobs, do you cook at uh, two out of ten or eight out of ten? Uh, well, I guess it depends on <laughs> what I'm doing, and it's the same thing with aperture. So, um, 
and and it's it's always I've learned a lot actually from watching films and seeing how some how they can use depth of field to like draw your eye into something in or out, and and I find it the same. So I, I make a call based on you know the angle I'm shooting at, the perspective, what focal length I'm using, but also the aperture in terms of how you know how important is the background to you, in how important is the context. If it's super important, then maybe shoot at f8 or f11 so so that it's all brought into into play whereas if it's not or if it's you know if it's really not then you might want to be shooting at a crazy super wide aperture that that blurs everything else out um, i mean do you, and do you do like come about to that decision quickly is it like instinctual that like i want to pull this person out and make it all about them, yeah, or, yeah, or do yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, immediately yeah. know? No, I want to. This oh, this is about the person in their environment, and I want to have everything else in focus as well. Um, well, that's that's one of the, the I think the things that comes with the experience of shooting is, is is you're not panicking. I'm not thinking like, oh, I'm going to miss the subject. I'm going to miss the focus. I, I'm thinking about yeah, things like that. Like, how do I want it to be presented, and then ultimately waiting for the exact moment to to shoot. Um, so. Pretty much before I press the shutter, the last thing that I mess around with is the aperture. Uh, I mean, I'm, a lot of the time when I'm on the underground, because it's quite dark down there, I, I like to shoot at 1.4 anyway, on my 24s. Um, and but but sometimes I'll be shooting at f8 down there if it, if it's necessary. So that 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 curvy shot um, on the on the tube platform was was. Um, was done at like f five point six, I think, on a ninety, which doesn't give you much depth of field at all. But it was just enough mm. to not make it look super separated, like it can do with 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 those really long lenses. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's all about just taking the time. I think to think how do I want this presented? For me, it's 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 not good enough to just have the frame, you know, just to like grab it no matter what what's going on. You know, I, I, I generally, as a rule, I generally like to have my shutter speed set so that it's it's caught sharp, and I like to obviously get it in focus and have the right feel for the, and I, I mean in terms of aperture selection for for, for the scene, mm. and that's that's a highly subjective thing, but um, I, I I don't just walk around with f eight on the whole time and think that that's cool. It, so it's it, it kind of varies. Yeah, I think, well, when I think about it in terms of moving images, in terms of films, a favourite example is um, of like, you know, how different lens choices can help you uh, kind of tell a story is um, in Bohemian Rhapsody, which is a film, you know, I don't have particularly strong feelings about either way. It was kind of fine, but um, there's mm. the opening, I think it's the opening shot where uh, they're playing at Live Aid and the there's a, there's a long swooping shot down onto the stage. And then the camera comes around Freddie Mercury sitting at the piano and it's it's really wide and he looks very sort of exposed there on this massive stage and the crowd looks very, very far away from him, which they are because it was, you know, an enormous stadium. And then they do, the camera stays on him and he starts playing the piano chords and it's still still wide. And then they dolly zoom out. So you're coming away, the camera's pulling out, but the camera's zooming in and you're going to a more, a longer lens. And the effect of it 
which is it's funny because dolly zooms in history in films have usually been used in quite a sort of wacky ways. You know, the famous one being in, in Jaws with like a boing, kind of like it's a shark. But <laughs> what, what, this one's actually really subtle where you almost don't really notice it's a dolly zoom. It's done very, very slowly. And it's ultimately its effect is just to take you from a wide into something tighter and bring, the, with the compression of the background of the foreground, bring the uh, audience closer. It's just, which is fucking genius because the whole idea is that, you know, I think they're a bit uncertain when they first get on stage and they don't know what, how, what Freddie's going to, how he's going to be. You know, there's something kind of wrong in the air. But then he starts singing and it's wonderful. And it, it literally brings the audience closer to you and closer to him. And it's just such a fantastic example of like what, I guess, a different lens or different focal length can bring you. Um, but mm, yeah, and that and that would have been very deliberately thought out. And, yeah, and tested. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and it's true. Like, and it's something no one would ever, you know, ninety nine percent of people won't notice on a, you know, they won't even think about the fact that the camera is moving, but it, they'll they'll feel the emotional impact of of that moment. Yeah, I, I think a picture is. I mean, apart from like photographers who are trying actively to, or filmmakers to to figure out what what the uh the aim of the picture is or uh, or, or how it was shot uh, i i think it's a bit of a fail I, I don't like it sometimes when when you just see like what equipment did you use and it's like if that's what you've taken out of this and if you think that that you know in buying a 50 mil lens yourself that that will help you copy a picture like you know it's just, it's just all really it's pointless because you, you you have to spend loads and loads and loads of time with 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 any with with, a, with any lens in order to get used to understanding when it's right to deploy it. Mm. And uh, I think I've said this before on this podcast that I started off with a, with a particular focal length and I used that for about a year before I realized that it was really pissing me off that I had, I, I couldn't, I was often like too close in and I couldn't get far enough back. Like, especially on the tube, I found that I was like running at a wall of like, you know, I was like hitting the wall at the back and, so I realized that I needed to get something wider. And that was made out of a practical decision, not out of, oh, you know, the current brothers often use a, t a t 35. So I think I should try that. Yeah. To try, and get, no. to try and get, to try and get that cinematic look. It's just, it's such a, it's such a false, uh, false economy. It is. And, to uh, and yeah, totally. And to like, to sort of, to sort of back up a bit like, ahead of all this conversation, it's like uh, actually, you know, you shouldn't take it too overly seriously. And especially when it comes to films, the things like blocking, like where you're going to put the actors in the scene, that's probably going to be governed whether the scene's going to work well or not, probably way more actually than the, the lens choice. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of other considerations that probably need to come first before you start really like geeking out and thinking about like, like when you, when you see people go into like the shape of the bokeh and stuff, it's like, all right, if you've got, you know, the, the time and the luxury to do a load of camera tests and think about that, great, but, like, that's pretty minute of a detail. Um, yeah, I, and but I, I guess that's what you're paying the best cinematographers for because they, they just know this stuff quickly. Like, they'll be able to go into a room and, and go make a decisive decision based on the script notes or the, or the mm. you know, that, okay, for this, we need to get... It's almost like... it's It's like... Yeah, knowing what lens to use and and all that kind of thing is is uh, is it's an understanding of space and shape and um, 
also it's it, it's something that can be effective for I, I don't like using it but the term storytelling um if it's like oh they enter through a doorway and they have a conversation and it's meant to be this intimate thing you know there the, there are so many choices they've got stacks of lenses they can use but there will be one that will be better than all the others mm-hmm. in order to kind of frame it and tell that and make the, the relationship between what's actually being told on screen and the space that they actually have in order to do that and maybe that there'll be another setup shot later on that needs the same kind of feel but because of the environment being different they you know it'll have to be a different lens to kind to to recreate that kind of feel yeah or and 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 i find that all the time like when i'm shooting some like i did a shot in the tape modern in the turbine hall that was done on the 35 mil lens and like i then kind of thought for a while oh i'm gonna shoot on the 35 because it will define you know, it's got this kind of look to it, but it's just totally not true. And I've done some shots like that one of the 90 that are closer in feel to that shot. But it's not because it's the, you know, the lens is like the last piece of the puzzle. It's kind of like you've got everything in front of you and you just need to decide, decipher what what focal length it is that you choose that will allow you to execute the scene or at least use the elements that you have in front of you. Sorry, you use the elements that you want out of the ones in front of you, and it's it's quite an it's it's quite an important decision. Yeah, um, and, and and yeah, it, it's this is why I can't go around anymore with just one lens because sometimes I just see and you know see something that is just physically isn't possible for a twenty four to do. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so yeah go on i'm gonna say I, I think it's interesting that like sometimes i think i guess people think about different lenses and what they can give you in sort of with shorthand in the sense that like people sort of think of something very wide with a lot of deep focus is often often sometimes being quite like i guess i'm thinking more in terms of movies here but often like quite comedic almost that kind of was anderson-y style where you can see a lot going on in the screen in the foreground and background and if someone's running off in the distance that's quite humorous whereas you know, you think of something with really shallow depth of field and quite tight being more kind of romantic and intimate in, intimate and intense. Um, but I mean, is there so much you're disposable with it? I'm a big fan of like racking focus in movies as well, you know, so you can, if you want to tell that story of there being things going on in two planes, you know, maybe switching, rolling between the two, sometimes it's, it's too much. It's too much like you're being like, now you're looking at this, now you're looking at this, see, see what's happening here. But it is like a yeah. really useful thing. Um, but then I guess I guess where sometimes it, some of those like shorthand things falls down is I think people often think of like long lenses and really shallow depth field as being like super cinematic. But if you take some of the best cinematographers, for instance, like, you know, Lubezki, one of my sort of, my equivalent of Henri Cartier-Bresson, I feel like on this podcast in terms of mentions, mm. um, he's he's just got more and more wide as his career's progressed to the point now. Like, I mean, in The Revenant, it was so, some of those shots were so wide, you know. Tw- 21s and wider, I yeah. think, or 18s, I think he was using as well. Yeah, and it's sort of, you think, sometimes you think of those, obviously not wide angles when it's of landscapes, when there are people in the foreground, you sometimes think of that as being a bit sort of, it looking a bit, GoPro-y, but actually, you know, in his hands and with those right lenses, he makes it look insanely cinematic. Yeah, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it's really, it's really immersive, isn't it? Like it, I guess that's the the way I think about it. Is like with a with a wide angle, you can put the viewer in the middle of the action, 
and you can probably make the characters look a bit like I think in, in Drive I think there's a lot of um, wide angles in 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 small rooms and it makes the characters look really far apart and so you know literally and figuratively whereas you know if you if you're on a long lens you're going to probably feel a bit more like a voyeur you're going to feel that you're going to know have that sense of distance but what you're spectating on is probably going to feel a lot more intimate and it's the characters are going to feel and look closer together i guess that's how i think about it but mm. well the, the 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 going back to the revenant there's that shot where dicaprio's boy gets uh gets killed and He's like leaning against the tree, breathing really heavily, and he's like dying pretty much. And uh, the camera goes so close into him that you can see his breath on the lens. Mm. Do you remember that? And it like fogs up the actual screen that you're yeah. watching. And and it's so that was one of the coolest things. Like I don't know if they planned that, um, but he's just like so close in on him. Like he must be literally within six inches of his face with 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 the lens. Yeah, which which is uh, it gives you a very angular look, so like all the all your features get a bit distorted, but it really worked at that point. I guess in that film, it makes you feel small amongst nature, doesn't it? Which is obviously how you want the viewer to feel if they're thinking, "Oh shit, this guy is like absolutely destroyed in the middle of nowhere." <laughs> like that's going to give you the, the look that you want. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't be not, yeah. It would it would be a lot more romantic if it was all soft focus on all these like autumnal leaves and like him walking through. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know what? I was gonna t I was gonna mention that I'm not a big fan of soft focus in general. Maybe more so in photography, but uh, you know, in a film where they they go for that like really soft focus look, I just think often it ends up looking a bit like kitsch and kind yeah. of. I mean, it's sort of. I mean, if you're doing, if you're like trying to, you know, make it look like a, a softcore porn from the '80s, or like you're shooting something in like a period piece, like sometimes it can work. But sometimes you get, if you get well, a film where they they're in really soft focus for the whole film, it just looks odd to me. It kind of jars a bit. And and, and that, I guess it's similar to, to to the bokeh shooting thing because I think it's yeah, you, you're right. It's it it's it's a very obvious thing to do, and you're kind of I don't know. From from a creative point of view, I feel like you're the, the the lens engineers are doing more than than the actual cinematographer in that point, perhaps because mm. it's just all about that lens quality. And um, yeah, it, it's. I mean, I mean, Chris is for the listener who doesn't know. Um, Chris is like always like shooting. He he likes to shoot things head on, uh, and, did, and it yeah. became a bit of a joke when we made that film. Yeah. Where I was like, I was like, why don't we try from this angle? You're like, no, 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 head on. Like, no, why? Yeah, like, like, head on. I just, yeah, <laughs> I guess, I guess I just like in the same way that you like geometry and your stuff. I guess I, I, li I like things being square on. I don't know why. Like, if I have, you know, if there's an aerial, because you're square on to life. Chris. Yeah, man. If there's a, if there's an aerial shot, I want it to be like proper. I don't want it to be aerial from an angle. I want to be looking bird's eye view down at the ground. I don't know why. Yeah, there's no necessarily any rhyme or reason to it, but um, but no, fair. I do like. I think thinking about lens choice and what, well, one of my favorite lens choices in films is well, one of my favorite films, Assassination of Jesse James, um, which obviously has a, has a big rep for Deakin's work in it. And you remember those shots that he does, uh, the kind of more montagey shots of like life, and he uh, used this lens that he had created called the Deaconizer. Yeah, he tasks some people to make for him, which is a wonderful thing, and it's sort of like a tilt shift lens, which I I really like. Um, 
you know, it could you could argue it's a bit gimmicky, but I think it can be it can be really nice, especially. I thought they must have done it in post. I know. Yeah, it looked so. It looked so like uh, like the memory swirly preset button. <laughs> it did. Yeah, he he got. I think what he said it kind of makes sense when you watch it back, as you think he wanted to imitate photography of the time when it was just starting in that like kind of late eighteen hundreds, and it was all you know very hand these handmade lenses that had lots of like aberrations and weirdness to them. So you get all of this, these shots where there's like blearing around the edges and like the lights diffusing in all weird ways and it, it just looks wicked. Um, but yeah. I think there's something, what I quite like about it um, is it's quite radial as well. And I think going back to what we were talking about at the beginning about how the eye see the world, sees the world, that's the one thing I think that films maybe don't exploit that much is that, I don't know about you, but I always think of, I think what we're looking at is crisply in focus and then everything in that kind of like elliptical shape around the edge is is blurry. So often having this like, f- this flat plane of focus, I think there's something quite, you, you're focusing in on one thing and everything around you else is blurry. So I think, I don't know, that that kind of like look um, I quite like and would like to experiment yeah. more with. And, point, and, I think. Well, it's, yeah, I, I, I always bang on about trying to make, present people with a different perspective to to the world around us and you know so i'd sooner do a portrait of someone from the floor up you know with a 24 mil than just doing a traditional headshot if if you know what i mean and um, mm. and yeah and, and you're right it's it's using wide angles at, at deep with stop down does give you a different a, by default a different look to, to how we can physically see i think some, someone put a uh, someone figured out the exact focal length of an eye <laughs> and um and how many stops of dynamic range we have which is insane um because mm-hmm. you know the the best cameras have got what uh like 14 stops that they could that they could different that they can see in whereas our eyes uh, i'm just going to google this you're saying that we need to gouge someone's eye out and uh, <laughs> kind of sh- biometrically put it into a camera. Um, so the human eye is capable of seeing 30 stops of light, which is way more than any camera could ever do. Mm. Uh, so that's why when you look at a lamp, you can see the, the light bulb, but also the inside of the shade. Uh, you can make out the detail in it. Whereas if you point a camera lens at a, a light bulb it, everything else just goes black and yeah, you know, yeah. and um, cameras can't see as well as us and I think a lot of people spend time trying to recreate the world as closely as possible but I like exploiting that that failure in the camera uh, in the in the sensor and just uh, just letting it go all black <laughs> which is fine and um, so yeah so that, that, that's been you know that that kind of thinking and pairing it up with wacky lenses has uh, defined my style quite a lot, I think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally I totally agree. It's like, yeah, you definitely you want to exploit the failure of it and, and present things in a different way. Although to play devil's advocate to that, I've, I, I, I'm so impressed when... I love it when you get a particularly a, a film, sometimes a photographer as, as well, where they have just gone... They're on like a 30 or a 40 and it's very kind of just almost like what the human eye would see. And they still manage to make that really interesting. I find that really impressive because it's like, yeah. okay, then they're, they're not kind of using any, there's no trickery here. They're just, 
the skill of the of the filmmaking. Someone like Sofia Coppola or uh, something, you know, tends to be very neutral and almost like someone has just grabbed a video camera and is just capturing it fairly easily, but they've still managed to make it really impactful. I think is really impressive. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's it's like it's like Nick Mason, the drummer from Pink Floyd. Uh, if he was playing drums like Dave, you know, like crazy, it would have ruined the whole thing. And and I think yeah. sometimes you just need to let a performance or a uh, a set speak for itself or whatever, and then just film it for what it is. And yeah, if you're doing some sort of crazy swooping in shot, that would just <laughs> that would just ruin the whole the whole thing. And it's true. And and sometimes, well, this is the point. It's all about knowing what 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 to call on at the right time for for the scene. It's like people saying, um, you know, knowing what's right for a song. And, and so many band members often want to come out as, you know, showing off what they can do. And so they all put in a bit too much and then song, you know, and then the song is, is ultimately lost. And it can be like that for sure in, uh, in film, I think, where it's like I've seen films where you just think this is all overdone Definitely. a bit. And it's like they're trying to be clever. Yeah, the lenses, uh, yeah I think, and I think the, there's a... acting is too much and the lighting people have gone all full in as well and it's just it's just a bit distracting and then you become aware you're watching a film 100 <laughs> percent. i think that's a real trend at the moment as well i guess maybe because viewers are a little bit more switched on to all this sort of stuff than they used to be you know people know that if they do some weird interesting shit people will notice so they're kind of more tempted to um but yeah that is that does happen a lot overcompensating i guess a bit and like you know for instance like the sopranos which I just I love I'm on my fifth watch through at the moment um it's shot like a sitcom for the most part there's very rarely yeah. a creative shot in it but it works and it doesn't it doesn't you don't need anything to distract because the performances are so good um it's interesting yeah well that uh, is it, something that maybe I'll, we can wrap it on mm. is uh I'd like to encourage people once in a while to if you can rent a, a bonkers lens that that you totally wouldn't ever think of using and to go out and try it like i i was in thailand and i was shooting on a 400 mil r lens on my leica and it was so stupid and silly um but <laughs> it was a lot of fun and then and that's the whole point for me it's just having fun and for, and trying out new things and uh sometimes the focal length can be that the answer to that yeah i bet you got like at least one interesting shot on that yeah that lens as well it was just so hard to focus because it's such a deep, such a shallow depth of field and um uh just trying to get a frame in bangkok which is all super i i, I took it but it's also massive so it was it was it was fun though we walked around and, and set it up and uh and got some shots down a long road um where it just compressed everything like absolutely crazy but i like that i I, I like the idea of shooting uh portraits on wide angles and and taking a wildlife lens and trying to do street on it or taking a drone and trying to do something Mm. with that um i i think that's it's it's a really fun creative part of photography and you know just sticking with one lens the whole time uh it's good it's good as like a lesson for a beginner i think but then after a while it's fun to experiment and mess around and uh i'm currently yeah, well, to quote, looking at, to quote uh, joel joel merowitz on on candela don't you want to perturb your process from time to time throw yes. it off you know that's the it's, I so agree. it's a good thing to do the, the wizened owl he is so wise
we'll have to get him back on at some point. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, it's been well, a thanks, wonderful Al. episode. Catch you again soon. All right. Ta-da.